title of my message this morning is Christ the Victor. We're going to talk about how Jesus Christ won the victory for us. Amen. Let's turn to the book of uh, Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15. And this is what we read there. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This is a, this is a very deep passage in one sense, and uh, I will try to make it as simple as possible. When I preach messages like this, I try to give out notes so you can have that, you can keep that, and you can go over it again and again later. But uh, I did not have the time to prepare the notes, unfortunately. So just listen to me, all right? Uh, you know that two-thirds of, two of the New Testament was written by Apostle Paul. And when you read the writings of Apostle Paul, you can see that he talks about spiritual warfare a lot. And we have uh, talked about spiritual warfare. And you guys know that I haven't even written a book about spiritual warfare. But uh, every time you go back and look at the scriptures, you begin to learn new things, better things. Amen. And... Uh, when you look at uh, the writings of Apostle Paul in summary, you begin to realize that Apostle Paul talks about enemies or a foe, um, an enemy who is more powerful than us. But he is not always talking about the same thing and he doesn't always use the same language. So when you look through the 13, if you exclude Hebrews, 13 books that Apostle Paul wrote, you can come across many different words that he used to address this enemy that come to defeat us. Amen. And uh, uh, I have some of the names there. I am hoping that you can read those things. All right. Um, one name that he uses, God of this world. Another name that he uses, Prince of the Power of the Air. Another word that he uses the spirit that is at work now in the sons of disobedience. I see a spelling mistake there, sorry. Uh, sons of disobedience. Then another word that he uses is the evil one. Another word that he uses is devil. Another word that he uses is Satan himself. So to call Satan or to address Satan, Apostle Paul uses many different words in his writings. But even then, that's not the only enemy that he talks about, enemy of the children of God. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, he talks about the fallen angels, or today we call them demons, as the enemies of the children of God. And then also, in the second Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he talks about the world as our enemy. So what does he mean by the world? He's not talking about the earth. He's not saying that the earth is our enemy. He's talking about the system, the worldly systems that is put out, out there by Satan 
to come against the children of God and to defeat them. Let me read these two verses for you. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Very familiar words to many Christians. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. That itself is a message, but I'm going to just skip it. Uh, otherwise, I will sidetrack and we cannot finish the message. Then a second passage like that is in First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. This is what Apostle Paul says there. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age, some translations say none of the rulers of this world, knew for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You can see that all these passages are so rich. Amen. So he talks about Satan as our enemy. He talks about demons as our enemy. He talks about the worldly systems as our enemy. And then in First Corinthians chapter 15, the chapter about resurrection, he talks about death as our enemy. Have you heard these verses before? These verses before, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55. You better keep a pen and pencil this morning. I have so many verses I'm going to go through today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 40, 54 and 55. This is what he says, where he talks about death as our enemy. When this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, or death. He is addressing death. So there he is personalizing death. And then he says, or death, where is your sting? Or Hades, where is your victory? So he considers death as our enemy. In that same chapter, he also tells us that death is the final enemy over which uh, we will have victory. But in the midst of all of this, all of these struggles that's going on, struggles from Satan, struggles from demons, struggles from worldly system, struggles from death, death, death comes into us as sickness. Because every time you get sick, you know, the, there is a goal. The sickness that comes into your body is actually trying to make your body succumb to it. And once it succumbs to it, you end up dying. So, so all these struggles we go through in our day-to-day -day life, but in the midst of that, Apostle Paul also, the same Apostle Paul also guarantees us that we can have victory in the midst of all of the struggles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the best explanation that he gives is that you can have victory because Jesus took victory over all of this. 
Amen. Our victory is based on the victory that Jesus won. Amen. And that's why he tells us, greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. So, if the victorious Jesus is living in you, just like he took victory over the natural forces, he took victory over death, he took victory over demons, he took victory over Satan, and he took victory over the worldly system, you can also have victory in your life. Hallelujah. So turn to somebody and say, you don't have to live a defeated life. Come on, say it. Say it. Speak to people. Speak over people this morning. Turn to somebody and say, you don't have to live a defeated life. Amen. So the best explanation for how this happens is given to us in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, that we read initially. So that's where we're going to focus on today. Amen. For the rest of my message. So this is the way Apostle Paul breaks down those three verses. In, um, in verse 13, he starts by giving us two of the problems that we have. Two fundamental problems. Amen. Look, can I read that to you again? And you being dead in your trespasses. Said dead in your trespasses. That's the one problem that we have. In our words, in our own words, we can say that we are spiritually dead. That's our number one problem. Amen. And then he says, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Say uncircumcision of your flesh. What did he mean by that? That means we are a lawless people. Because the law was given to the circumcised people. Who were the circumcised, original circumcised people? The Jewish people. So when he talked about you are living in the uncircumcision of your flesh, you are a lawless people. So we have two problems, fundamental problems. One is spiritual death. Number two is we are morally corrupt, inherently morally corrupt. Nobody has to tell us to do wrong things. It comes with the package. And that's where we are when we come to Christ. This is when we come to Christ, not today, okay? If you are a Christian today, this is not about you today. This is when you came to Christ. You were dead in your trespasses. Apostle Paul talks about the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2. Amen. But let's stay on this passage itself because there is so much richness I have to share with you from these three verses this morning. So he says you have two problems. One, you are morally dead. I mean, you are spiritually dead. Number two, you are morally corrupt. So you have to overcome these two problems before you can even start your spiritual life. And the, and the beautiful thing is that in the same verse, second half of that verse, he gives us the answers to these problems. So look at what is the answer to the problem for spiritually dead, being spiritually dead. Look at the second half of that same verse. He has made alive together with him. Amen. So turn to somebody and say, I am made alive. Come on, come on, come on. I'm trying my best to make sure, because I'm going to share so much stuff with you this morning. I'm trying to make sure that at least some of it stays with you, okay? That's why I'm asking you to repeat these things after me. Amen. So turn to somebody again and say, I am made alive. Have you noticed that? It does not say, I am alive. It says, I am made alive. Amen. So the language of the Bible is different from the language of biology. Biologically, all of us are alive. 
So biologically speaking, you will say that pastor is alive. That's why he's speaking to us, which is true. But that's not what we are talking about here. Because we are not talking about physical death here. We are talking about spiritual death. So what does that passage tell us? Somebody has to bring life into you when you are spiritually dead. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you are, another way to put that is that if you are spiritually dead this morning, you cannot make yourself spiritually alive. Amen. You cannot make yourself spiritually alive. The life has to come from somewhere. Amen. And what is that life? That life is the resurrection life in the life in the life of Jesus Christ, who overcame death and resurrected on the third day. And if that resurrection, when that resurrection life that is in Christ Jesus begin to flow into your mortal bodies by the same power, by the same life, your mortal bodies also begin to become. Alive again. This life right here. You don't even have to wait for resurrection day. To be spiritually alive. Many many religions say that. All all your life. You're going to struggle here. And if God accepts you. On the resurrection day. You will be spiritually alive. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what I believe. That's not the life that I live. Yes, I was spiritually dead at one time. But thank God Jesus went to the cross. Thank God he defeated death. We will talk about that in a minute. And then when he rose up with that resurrection life, that resurrection life began to flow into me. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this morning, the life that I live today is not my natural life. The life that I live today is the life that has been made alive because of Jesus. Amen. Come on, if you believe that, if you're happy about that, give the Lord a clap offering in this place. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. So, that's the solution. And then he gives us the details of it. You know, in verses 14 and 15. Look at verse 14. The, the deep pictures there, alright? So, let's, uh, let's look through that. In verse 14, what did he say? After, I mean, I mean we, the, spirit, the answer for the spiritual death is being made alive through Christ Jesus. And what is the answer for being morally corrupt, inherently morally corrupt. I didn't even touch on that yet. And the second part of the verse 13 again, having forgiven all your trespasses. So what is the answer for being inherently morally corrupt? You know, being part of the uncircumcision of the flesh. What is the answer for us? The answer for us is that God chooses to forgive all of our sins. Oh, I thought you would be a little more excited this morning. I thought you would be a little more excited this morning. Amen. God chooses to forgive all of our sins. Amen. So, can you turn to somebody and say, I am forgiven. We are singing again this morning. I am no longer a slave to sin. Amen. Hallelujah. That song was so bringing tears to my eyes because this message was bubbling in my spirit when they were singing that song. And I tears started running down my cheeks this morning. You know why? Because I am no longer a slave to sin. It's not a line of a song. It's the testimony of my life. 
Hallelujah! If that is the testimony of you alive this morning, praise God in this place. Somebody praise God. Somebody praise God in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Do you have that confidence? If you have that confidence, turn to somebody this morning and say, My sins are forgiven. Amen. That's the only reason why I say I'm a child of God. If my sins are not forgiven, I cannot call myself a, a, a child of God. I'll be an enemy of God. But because my sins are forgiven this morning, I can rejoice in the fact that I have become a child of God. Hallelujah. We will sing that song again later. Amen. Praise God. And then he tells us the details about how God forgives our sins. Okay. Now, uh, if you have a Bible that has notes, you know, um, like New King James Bible, for example, which is a standard Bible that we use in this church. And if you look at that, you will see that uh, uh, there is a, in the bracket, there is a little letter I. In fact, on, on verse 14, you will see the I. That means you look at the chap bottom of that chapter and look what they say, where it says I. And when you look at uh, that, that note given at the bottom of that chapter, it is explained as a certificate of debt. So what is the handwriting he is talking about? Handwriting he is talking about is a certificate of debt that we owed God as sinners. I'm going to introduce maybe three Greek words this morning. So look over here. See the first Greek word in the second uh, below handwriting. The first Greek word that I want to uh, introduce to you this morning is kerographon. Kerographon. And, uh, and, and kerographon means a document, or, uh, a document recording debts that one is obliged to pay. A document recording debts that one is obliged to pay. We know that in the ancient world, they didn't have computers. They only have handwritten notes, right? So they were uh, in the market when you go and buy something. If you don't have money, they will take a piece of paper and, uh, and they will tell you, they will write down that uh, Winston, oh, me. So, sorry, Winston. <laughs> oh, oh, me. X amount of dollars. And then ask Winston to sign at the bottom of it. So today what we call that? We call it an IOU, right? We call it an IOU. So, kerographon the word that Apostle Paul used in that verse is actually an IOU. He's saying that every human being has an IOU due unto God because we are all sinners. Why, how do we become sinners? By violating God's law. And this is God's law. He gave it to the all mankind. And because we have uh, violated God's law, there are two different aspects to that violation. One is violating God's moral law which is global in nature. And then there is God's written law, which was given to the Jewish people through the book of uh, Moses. I will come to that in a second. Amen. So Bible says that uh, you have a moral obligation. You owe this. Chirographon means it's a note kept in God's presence. Actually, the funny thing is, not only say God keeps that note, Satan also keeps that note. Please listen to me this morning. Satan entices you to commit sin. And once you commit sin, he write that down. 
<laughs> and he keeps that knots against you and say, you cannot escape from my hold because this is what you did on today's, what is the day today? July 10, 2022. And so he indicts you to do something crummy on July 10, 2022. And at the end of the day, he makes a note of that and says, no, 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 no. Next time you get up and jump up and down and saying that and sing loud and say that you're a child of God. I got this note. I know what you did on July 10, 2022. This is what Satan does. Amen. And, and at the same time, God also automatically everything that we do in our life is written in the Lamb's book of remembrance. You see, remember, you have to remember that. There, is, there are multiple books in the presence of God. The Bible tells us. Amen. I don't have time to go into the details of that. So this is a, this is a legal requirement. That means you cannot just say, forgive me, Lord. That's not enough. See, when we say that, when you pray a prayer to Jesus asking you to forgive your sins, that's not just a random prayer and saying that, or, or, or like the universalists say today, that one day everybody is going to be saved because God is love. You know how to become a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God will forgive you because of what Jesus did. Because this is an IOU. Somebody has to pay it. Amen. And, 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 and so it, it talks about it, 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 with its legal demands. Apostle Paul, look at the language that he uses there. He says the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. In other words, it was speaking against us. In other words, it was reminding us that you owe this, you owe this, you owe this. You have to pay this. And we don't know how to pay this. Amen. And then in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15, Apostle Paul also talks about the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Expressed in ordinances. That is talking about the Mosaic law. So on one side, moral law, which is universal, all of us have broken some moral law somewhere. So none of us can say, I'm a sinless person. We have broken it somewhere at some point. Then also, on top of that, God gave the codified law through Moses, which is given to us in Exodus, Leviticus, etc. And when you read that, and, and remember a couple of Sundays ago, one, one, in one of my messages, I said, God asked people to agree that they received it. Six tribes had to get on one mound, and six tribes had to get on the others, another mound, face each other, and one will read the blessings and say, then this people will say amen, and this group will say the curse, read the curses, and this group has to say amen. So what God did was that nobody can deny that we didn't get it. He wanted to make sure that everybody knew that they got it. So, so that's what Apostle Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15. The law of commandments expressed in ordinances. The law that came through Moses stands against us. So how do we take care of these things? How do we take care of these things? Apostle Paul gives us two pictures there in verse 14. Look at that verse again. I hope your Bibles are open to Colossians chapter 2 this morning. And chapter 2 and verse 14. Look at the second half of that. It gives us two pictures there. How God take care of it. Number one, he nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. 
I don't carry my IOU anymore because my IOU was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Not that I don't owe God, not that it is automatically wiped out, but thank God, God chose to take my IOU and nail it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Excuse me if I am getting excited this morning. Amen. I hope you guys can understand why I'm getting excited. Because we know that in John chapter 19 and verse 19, the Roman soldiers put the crime of Jesus on top of the cross where he was hanging. And that was a common practice. Because when the passersby could see why this man was hung. Because we know that the Romans were a people of law, just like Americans are supposed to be. You know, and, uh, and Pax Romana said that if you hang, I mean, if you hang somebody on the, ro- on the cross, you have to write down why he is hung. So G- when Jesus was hanging on that cross, his crime was written on that cross. What was his crime? He said, he is the king of the Jews. That was the crime. And the Jewish people didn't like it, but they said, whatever we wrote, we wrote. Because that's what you guys came, brought this man here, claiming that he's violating the Roman law and he claimed to be the king. And so we write that on top. And guess what? Each of us, amen, how our little notes. And just like the, the crime of Jesus was written above him, or, or postulated crime, was written above his cross. You know, the Bible says, actually the Bible borrows that picture. Apostle Paul borrows that picture and says, just like that, all of us have IOUs that says what is wrong with us. Imagine if Jesus had only one crime, how many crimes will be on our note? You know, how many crummy things we have done in our lives? All of that is there. But thank God this morning you don't have to worry about that because it's all nailed to the cross of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. So next time when you talk about or talk to somebody and say, I am a child of God, my sins are forgiven. Please understand how your sins got forgiven. It was not an automatic process. God gave a huge price to forgive your sin. He had to send his only begotten son into this world and allow him to hang on that cross and die that wretched death so that your IOUs can be nailed to that cross and you can walk in the forgiveness of God. Hallelujah. 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 And then there is a second picture there in the same verse. Look at this. It says, uh, it's wiped out. Amen. He wiped it out. He not only forgave us, he not only nailed it to the cross, he wiped it out. <laughs> Let me take you to the book of Revelation for a minute. Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Oh, yeah, I want you to get this today. I want you to get this today, okay? Amen. Um, listen, you don't have to go to home or hospitality just yet because we're going to have a communion after this. Amen. So, okay, Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these? Listen to this. Listen to this. Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, 
These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, I hope you can get this this morning. Amen. When the Bible tells us in the same book, chapter 19, that when Jesus will come back on a white horse to be the king of this world, all of his saints will follow him. And when all of us are following him, all of us will be arrayed with the white linen. And how do we get the right to wear a white linen? White is a sign of holiness in the Bible. And how do we get to wear this white linen? Do you know because, not because you are holy, not because I am holy, not because you didn't do anything wrong not because I didn't do anything wrong I am aware of the millions of wrong things I have done in my life but thank God my robe was washed in the blood of the lamb oh hallelujah 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 your life's robe is washed in the blood of the lamb that's how it becomes white. If there is no blood of the Lamb, you, are, you will not be wearing a white robe. Amen. Hallelujah. In the book of Isaiah, the Bible says the other side of the picture. Because they say your sins have made you scarlet. Your robes will be scarlet in color because of the stains of sin. But thank God, none of us will be wearing a scarlet robe when we follow Jesus and come back to this earth. As victors, we will be wearing white linen because our, our robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Do you get this, folks? Do you get this, people? Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Jesus, can you tell somebody this morning that uh, I am washed in the blood of the Lamb? I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, come on, turn to somebody and say, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, if you believe that, say it as if you believe it. Say it as you know it. Amen. Say it as you know it. Say it as if this is the truth of your life. This is the reality of your life. Gentle somebody and say, I am washed, I am washed, I am washed, I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. I am washed, I am washed, I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, Hallelujah. 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 Come on, people. Let's have church in this place. Somebody praise him. Somebody praise him. Somebody worship him in this place. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Next time when you claim to be a child of God, and somebody asks you, how can you claim to be a child of God? Have you forgotten all the wrong things that you did in your life? Tell them, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. Because I cannot forget it. Because I am walking with the same brain. Until I die, I, I only have one brain. So in my brain somewhere, I still know that. I have memories of that. But it doesn't bother me anymore. It doesn't bother me anymore. Because I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I said, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I said, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I said, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's why I can call myself a child of God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Guys, clock is against us this morning. But I'm just starting. <laughs> Listen to me. Some of the translations did an injustice to that verse. Because in English, there are so many translations of the Bible. That's why you have to be careful which translation that you read. Some of the translation simply says, our debts are cancelled. Our debts are cancelled. But uh, that's not the right translation. Do you know why I know it's not the right translation? Let me show you the second Greek word I want to show you. Look at uh, the second phrase in, uh, uh, in inverted commas there. That's the word that Apostle Paul used there. The word is exalefo. Exalefo. Exalefo doesn't mean cancel. Exalefo means rub out. Rub out. Right when you write something with a pencil and use the rubber to rub it out completely. See, when we think about canceling, what do we think about? When we, you know, let's say we have a list of people who owe us money and somebody paid or you for, decide to forgive them. And when you cancel it, what you do is you like, take a red color pen and just cross over it. So even though it's taken care of, the next person can still read it because it just crossed over. But that's not what God did. Listen to me, folks, this morning. That's not what God did. Amen. He rubbed it out. He rubbed it out. That means nobody can, nobody can read it. 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 That's why sometimes people say that when God forgives, He also forgets. But people forgive, but people don't forget. Even the people who tell you that they have forgiven you, when the next occasion comes, they will still remind you. Remember you, what you did, but I chose to forgive you? You haven't really forgiven that person. If you are really forgiven, you wouldn't bring that up again. That's the truth. That's a, and that's our human nature. I mean, I am also guilty of it. That's our human nature. But you know, that's what Satan does too. On the resurrection morning, when all of us are in that glorious crowd and God is ready to give us rewards for serving him, Satan will show up. Amen. And, and Satan will, because Satan, you know, is not thrown in the lake of fire yet. Okay. So he, he, will, say, he will pull out all the notes that he is keeping against you and say, listen, look at this note. What this person did on July 10, 2022. I have the note. I have the proof here. And God will open his book and say, but I don't see anything here. Because it's rubbed out. It's rubbed out, folks. I said it's rubbed out, folks. I said your sins are rubbed out. Your sins are wiped out. Oh, hallelujah. 
Nobody can read that anymore. Amen. And when you get to heaven, praise you, Lord. But how does he, how, how is it rubbed out? Not with the rubber. No, 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 no. Your sins are not rubbed out with the rubber. Amen. Your sins are rubbed out by the precious blood of the Lamb of God that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Hallelujah. Amen. This morning, all of your sins, all of your past, amen, failures are rubbed out from your life page by the precious blood of the Lamb of God that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Because while the blood of Abel cried out for revenge, the blood of the Lamb of God cries out for forgiveness. Hallelujah. Oh, turn to somebody and say, I'm forgiven. Yeah, come on, somebody worship God in this place. If you enjoy that forgiveness, if you have that assurance of forgiveness, somebody worship Him. Somebody worship Him in this place. Hallelujah. 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 While I was putting this message together, I was looking at different versions of the Bible to get the best message out to you today. So, I'm going to read to you Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5 from the New Living Translation, okay? Listen to this. What a beautiful language. Listen to this. Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stop, stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. What a beautiful language. What a beautiful language. Amen. So now you know the two sides of the coin has become very clear. On one side, God has provided the way. And by sending his son to die on the cross and nailing your guilt to the cross and being wiping that out by the precious blood of his son, it can be completely forgiven and completely rubbed out. But, but you also have to do something. You know what you have to do? You have to confess your rebellion to the Lord. You have to confess your sins. The moment you decide to confess your sins to the Lord, he wipes your sins also out. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What a joy of a forgiven sinner. Amen. We have to finish. So, coming to chapter 2 and verse 15, there are two more important images there, okay? Can you give me five more minutes? And then we have communion also. Oh, what a, what a, what a deep word of God this morning. Amen. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. What did we read there? Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, 
it talks about the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Now, two important images in, given to us in that verse. First one, it says that uh, he, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And then what, what disarmed, the word disarmed, again, if you look at the notes in your Bible, it says the, the, the word disarmed means stripped of the weapon. Stripped of the weapon from them. Stripped of the weapon from them. Amen. Now, this is a picture from the Roman victory parade. Victory parade. And then the second image is that uh, he shamed them publicly. I will quickly explain that to you. Uh, and then we will conclude. Okay, this, these two images come from a Roman victory parade. Uh, because uh, we know that uh, God, this is the picture that Paul had in his mind. Because of a word that he uses in uh, another passage in Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter two verses fourteen through sixteen. Second Corinthians chapter two, verses fourteen through sixteen. These are the only two verses where Apostle Paul uses this third Greek word. I want to introduce to you this morning. Okay, so if you look at that. Um, Above the scripture reference, yeah, it's right there. The, the third Greek word I want to you, uh, introduce to you is called uh, triambuo, triambuo. It's a little difficult word to pronounce, triambuo. And that's the word that used triumph for triumph. In, only in two passages in the New Testament. One is in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. And the second one is in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16. So when you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you get a better idea about what Paul had in mind. So let me read that to you. For, again from New Living Translation. Very clear language. This is what he says. Say, but thank God, he has made us his, his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphant procession, triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. I will explain in a second. We are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? In other words, the last sentence means what an incredible thing God has done. This is what Apostle Paul means there. In the Roman victory parade, um, there, you have a slide with an image there. One image, big image. See, this is the image of a Roman victory parade. This is not from 2,000 years ago. This is from um, one of the movies or television shows that they made recently, but this is a clear replica of what happens in the victory parade. You see in the front, there's somebody riding on a horse, in a chariot actually, you know, drawn by four horses. He is the general who had the military victory, you know, military victory, and he was called the triumphator, triumphator. Um, let me make sure. Yeah, triumphator is what they called him. That's where the word triumph came from. So he just had a military victory and he's coming back to Rome with the, in the poem and uh, 
in a glory of having this military victory and he is given a big procession through the streets of Rome and he will ride in the front in the chariot and besides him are the other generals behind him are the soldiers who fought the battle with him and all the way at the back end of this procession will be the captives the king who was defeated the general who was defeated amen and uh, and the soldiers who were defeated they don't bring the whole soldiers some of them who were defeated so you know what they do is the from the king and the generals who were defeated they will take off all the weapons from them that's why the word having disarmed king in colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 they will take away the weapons they will strip them of the weapons sometimes people say they will even take off all the royal expensive clothes that they are wearing and just give them a loin cloth and so when one look you know right away who is the victor and who is the who is victorious and who lost who won the battle and who lost the battle and then they will be given this this big procession along that street amen and uh, and, and the man who is riding on the chariots is called uh, triumphator then there's the general who won the battle and the soldiers who are walking with him will shout triumphe 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 they will shout triumphe 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 the meaning of that word is hail to the victorious one that's what the mean the meaning of the word so this is the procession that uh, Apostle Paul is talking about both in Colossians chapter 2 verse 5 and 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16. And in 2nd Corinthians, Apostle Paul said, listen, for them, for some, for the one who is perishing, he's talking about the people in the world, we do not smell like fragrance because Christianity was being persecuted. How much persecution Apostle Paul himself went through. How many people died in the first century itself. Uh, you know, as martyrs for believing in Jesus Christ. So, Apostle Paul says in the natural, it doesn't look like we are having a victory parade here. It looks like we are losing. Amen. So, this is what he says. Amen. So, th this is what he said. For, but this fragrance is perceived differently by who are being saved and those who are perishing to those who are perishing in other words people in the world we are a dreadful smell of death and doom because christians were being persecuted left and right they were being put in jail they were you know being killed mercilessly so it doesn't look like a victory parade but then apostle paul says but to those who are being saved we are a life-giving perfume hallelujah in the natural it looks like we are losing in the natural it may look like christianity is failing in the natural other people may other religions may claim that christianity is going down and we are coming up but let me tell you it's all a question of perspective in the natural it may look like you are not spreading any fragrance but we are hallelujah what is the fragrance that we are spreading? We are spreading the fragrance of Christ. We are spreading the fragrance of Christ. We are spreading the fragrance of Christ. See, again came from this, this march. Because at the back end of the march, after the soldiers, there will be people carrying spices from foreign lands. You know, and sometimes they will put the fragrant flowers on the street so the, the general can march on top of those flowers. So that's, there was naturally fragrance in the air. And uh, Apostle Paul says, we are living 
a fragrance behind through our victorious life the fragrance of Christ fragrance of Christ amen we may not accomplish much in life Amen. We, not, we may not be big shots in this world. Our name may not be in the who is who of New York State or USA. But when you leave this world, you are leaving a fragrance behind. A fragrance of Christ. Hallelujah. Because you lived for Jesus Christ. You lived for Jesus Christ. You talked about Jesus Christ. You shared Jesus Christ with others. Hallelujah. Wherever you go. You are leaving a fragrance behind. The only question this morning is, are you leaving a stench of death and destruction behind? Or are you leaving the fragrance of Christ behind? Listen to me this morning as I conclude. We are walking behind a victor. The greatest victor the world has ever seen. Amen. This general won a small battle. But our general, the Lord Jesus Christ, won the greatest battle. Won the greatest victory. When he died on that cross. Hallelujah. You know why? Because the weapon that he stripped off, the weapon, the last slide please. The weapon that he stripped off is death. Is death. Amen. Remember I told you Satan was always holding these knots against you. Amen. And you know how he defeated you? Through death. Amen. And when Jesus, listen to this, this I have to finish quickly. Amen. How did the, the, the weapon that Jesus took away is the keys of death and Hades. Amen. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, Now I, I was dead, but now I live. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Hallelujah. I love somebody wrote about this. He said, uh, the death is like a big dustpan. And Hades is like a trash can. Listen to me. Death is like a big dustpan. And Hades is like a trash can. Death collects and Hades keep the dead. Ha, what a beautiful way to put that. Amen. So you know what? This is what we read in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. My time is up. Uh, so I'm just going to summarize. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Amen. So when, he, when we say that Jesus defeated the devil and stripped him of his weapons, you know what is the weapon that we are talking about? We are talking about the power of death. Remember the passage that we read from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at the beginning of my message, one day we will all stand up in our resurrection body when we shall come by and we shall meet our Savior and when the dead in Christ shall rise and we who are alive will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye, we will stand up in that crowd and we will shout oh death where is your victory where is your victory yes you had a victory over us temporarily many of our dear ones are gone our parents are gone sometimes some of our grandparents definitely are gone amen so it looks like death had a victory for a little while but let me tell you you don't have to worry about death, death this morning you don't have to worry about Hades this morning because you are following somebody who has the key 
of the Tanaitis. You know what Jesus did? Say Jesus also died on the cross, right? But in that process, he took the key away from Satan. And he's inside. He's inside. And Satan is having a party outside. Saying that I put him inside. I got him. I got him. But Satan forgot. Now he has the key. Hello. 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 That's why the Bible says when he came out. He didn't come out by himself. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. This is a quotation from Psalm 68. Can I read it again from New Living Translation? It says that when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. You know who was the crowd of captives? Ha! If I had a time, I would get, I'd get more excited this morning because I have a lot more to share, but our time is up. You know who is that crowd of captives? The crowd of captives are all the Old Testament saints. I still remember the message I heard from Jimmy Swaggart in Madison Square Garden where he explained it this way. When Jesus went into that same place, paradise or Abraham's bosom, where the soul of all the Old Testament saints were waiting, you know, and they realized he has the key in his hand. They have been held there by Satan who had the key until then. Now here is their captain of their salvation coming with the key in his hand. And he came he, when he was ready to open the door and he saw a long line of people waiting for so long. And he looked at the person who is standing all the way at the front and asked him, who are you? And he said, my name is Adam. I was created by God himself, but I violated his law and fell in sin. But he gave me a promise that day, the seed of the woman will come to crush the head of the serpent. Amen. And when he comes, I can get out of here. All these thousands of years, I've been waiting for him. Thank God you came. Next to him was Abel. The first person died or, or murdered in this world. And Jesus went to him and what are you waiting for? He said, listen, I live a life that is pleasing to God. I did nothing wrong. But my brother God angry at me and killed me. But all those, you know, my, in the natural, I've been crying out for revenge. But then I got an assurance from my creator that somebody will come one day who will speak better things than the blood of Abel. Amen. And I'm waiting for him to come and shed his blood so that I can get out of this place. <laughs> then he came to Abraham and said, Abraham, dad, what are you waiting for? Abraham told him, listen, I got the privilege to follow God. I heard the voice of God. I heard the visitations of God. And once I got to know him, I no longer could love this world. So even though I reached the promised land, in that promised land, I lived like a foreigner. I lived in tents looking forward to that city whose builder and maker is God himself. I'm waiting for him to come and take me to that city. You are following a victorious general who has 
the keys of death and Hades. All the Old Testament saints went with him. He cleared a crowd of captives. And, and so they are with our God the Father today. But we who are living in the New Testament don't have to wait like that anymore. You know why? Because he has the key. <laughs> our leader has the key. So you know nobody is going to lock you up anymore. Because he took, he even transferred the Hades out of there. It's no longer there. Amen. That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, we are confident. Yes, well pleased. Rather to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. You don't have to live in the fear of death anymore. Stand up with me all over this place. Somebody praise who are in this place. Somebody praise him. 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 Listen, our service is not over. Our service is not over. Today going to go a few minutes. Amen. Extra. Because I had to share this message. This has just been burning in my soul. Listen. We are not following a defeated leader. We are following a victorious leader. As we are about to take part from the communion this morning. Amen. Remember what God has done for you. Through the death of Jesus Christ. Because this is the table that we used to remember about the death of Jesus. So this morning it's much more meaningful. Now that you know what God did when Jesus died on the cross. When you take part from the elements this morning, remind yourself this morning, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a sinner. Amen. Satan has nothing over me. Satan has nothing over me. Amen. Hallelujah. Before we start with the Lord's table, take one minute to close your eyes, please. All over this place. After a message like this, I need to give you an altar call. I know our time is running, but I need to give you an altar call. Amen. If there is one person who is not sure of the salvation that you can receive through Jesus Christ, if there is one person here who do not have the assurance that your sins are forgiven, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because you don't have to carry the burden of that sin anymore. You don't have to listen to the lies of Satan anymore because Jesus is ready to wipe your sins out completely. Amen. Rub it out. Rub it out from history. Amen. So, so if there is one person who wants to pray that prayer this morning and ask Jesus to forgive your sins and wipe them away from your life story, slip up your hands in the presence of God and I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. So anybody who wants to pray that prayer and come to Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins Amen. Everything that has happened in your life, forgive it and wipe the slate clean and help you to start a new life as a child of God. Slip up your hands in the presence of God and I will pray for you. Amen. Hallelujah. I thank God for all the children of God in front of me this morning. But I know there are many people watching this service and watch will watch this service later. I want to encourage you also. 
come to Jesus let him wipe out the stains of your sins from your life so that you can live as a child of God father we thank you for this morning thank you for your word of oh father I pray Lord that the truth of your word will lead many to salvation this morning in Jesus precious name I pray amen